Welcome to Launch Left Podcast, a space for fame creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels, an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Welcome to the show. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Hi, Summer. Hi, Rain. How are you today? I'm doing great today. We just talked about how neither of us have had coffee. Yeah. But we're just brimming over with energy because of the guests that we get to spend our next hour with. It's so exciting. Yeah. Do you want to butcher her name? It's pretty easy. It's two syllables, two syllables. Let's try Denise Kaufman, ladies and gentlemen, from Ace of Cups. Did I do it? I think so. Did she do it right? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you. Like, what would you say to our listeners and watchers of uh, you? You give us, you know, what, who are you? And and, uh, what is your favorite thing to do? Why are you here? Maybe is a good Got it. So I'm Denise Kaufman, and um, one of the things I do is that I get to be a band member in Ace of Cups, which was the first all-women's band in the Bay Area in the 1960s. And um, we played together for four or five years and eventually broke up and went separate ways and then came back together um, in about 2011 and um, released our first studio album last year because in the old days, nobody would sign an all-women band. And so uh, we didn't get that chance till 50 years later. So I think what I'm getting to do here now is first of all, share about the Ace of Cups and our adventures. But the other things I like to do are, I love to practice yoga. I've been teaching for you know many, many years. Um, I surf, I garden, I... Um, Love, you know, I love to hang out with my family and friends. And even when I'm not with Ace of Cups, I love to jam music and listen to music with whomever I can, whenever I can. Speaking of garden, is that what we've got here? Yeah, you have, um, that's, it, the ones wrapped up are white sage, which is from right outside my front door. Um, and I just dried that, I mean, just like, um, so and then. Scratch and sniff, right. you know, for the viewers <laughs> to be like, oh, what is that smell? It's delicious. And that's and on. both of these sages were sourced from the mountains here by my really dear friend Erica Waldman, who's a forager and professor. But we planted them about three or four years ago and they're just beautiful big bushes. The other one there is a black this one here is black sage, which if you just take a whiff of it, you what I do with this, you put it in your bathtub. Oh. And then once the hot water's on it, then you just just put it by your nose and lay there in the bathtub and just inhale it. It's got all kinds of healing properties. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, isn't that beautiful? It feels like like the wild. You just feel calm, too. Yes. Beautiful. Let's do it, Sam. We'll just wear a sage mustache for this episode. It's better than my regular one, so. (laughs) (laughs) My sister, everybody. Um, Uh, Well, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. And bringing us all of that you are. Thank you. I have a couple of questions. um, And, you know, and they're just questions just to like sort of uh, gather information. It's not for any particular reason Uh other than curiosity. Um, So my first question would be, why did you break up the Ace of Cups after four or five years playing together, starting in 1966? 67. 67. We met, well, I met Mary Ellen. I was the last one to meet the rest of them. New Year's Eve, when 
1966 turned into 1967. Wow. And uh, Mary Ellen was at a party at the band Blue Cheers house. And I was at that same party. And I wandered into an upstairs bedroom where there was a woman playing blues guitar, on a, just sitting on a bed in this empty room playing. And I pulled out my harmonica and we started jamming. And that was the... That was kind of, I was so the last rad. link of what turned into the Ace of Cups. So rad. Is your instrument in the band harmonica? A bass, harmonica, some guitar. And yeah, mostly, um, I, I kind of, the, the original bass player in our band is Mary, Mary Gannon Alfieler. And she was the bass player and I was the rhythm guitar player and harmonica player. But then after these years that we've been apart, I went to music school here in Hollywood at BIT on the bass. And um, I got really into the bass, so now we share the bass. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, but your question is, why, why do we break up? So in those days, which is always hard for people to imagine now, before the internet. Oh, contextualize <laughs> them for us, yeah, please. Please, please, please. Tell us yeah. what it was like. Bring us right. in. We want to know. And, you know, so in those days, and there wasn't even really when we were get, getting going, there wasn't even FM radio. Really, at first, there was just AM radio. So the way a band got to get known and the only way was if you got a record deal i mean outside of your immediate area mm -hmm. so if you had a, a record deal and then somebody and you had a record then people played it on the radio outside of your you know hometown and then other people got to hear your music and then you could get booked somewhere out of, out of town and that's how you kind of created a, a career mm -hmm. uh, for your band mm -hmm. um but because we never got a record deal. In those days, no all-women's band had record deals that, you know, at least that we ever knew of. And there were hardly any anyway. And then, you know, I think when the record companies from L.A. and New York came to San Francisco, which is where we were, and they saw these five hippie women, all of whom sang, all of whom played their own instruments, all of whom wrote and all of whom had different musical instruments kind of influences so we had a lot of different styles and we just kind of felt like there wasn't anything we couldn't do if we wanted to so i think we just didn't fit into anybody's box of what we were or how you could market us you know because a lot of bands had a lead singer we had five mm -hmm. um so you know we just didn't get that opportunity even though we were singing backup vocals on the Jefferson Airplanes album and Mike Bloomfields and Quicksilver and the other bands around. We toured with some of them in more locally. We didn't ever go East, but we just didn't get that chance. And so, you know, there, it just sort of, then we started having babies and because we kind of couldn't make it to that next level economically where we could have afforded to travel and maybe brought some nannies with us or whatever for babies. It just, we just, it wasn't viable and sustainable. And were you transplants to San Francisco or were you all local to begin with? I was born in San Francisco and raised, our drummer Diane was born in San Francisco. And uh, the original five of us was, Marla was from LA. Mary Gannon was from New York originally, but then her family moved to Monterey. And Mary Ellen was from the desert out here at um, like Palm Springs area, Indio. And how old were you guys when you formed the band in the first place? Were we like late teens, early 20s? Yeah, I was the youngest. I think I was 19. I was 19 and they were 20, 21, 20, you know, 22. We were like in that range. Yeah. So wow. I had already been in a, a, a couple of other bands and um, and I had actually made a, a single, a record. Um, so I was kind of the most experienced in that, in that 
way. And then like Mary Gannon had come from theater. So she's the one who lived in Monterey and, and she's sort of been in, in acting and plays and Broadway. And she actually was Miss Monterey. <laughs> and then she, um, she went to the Miss California contest and somebody ratted on her that she took, she went outside and had a cigarette. So they kicked her out of the contest. Oh my <laughs> what a rebel. What a rebel. And Ace of Cups, I assume, comes from the Tarot. Exactly. Is that, and what is what is the meaning of the Ace of Cups? Well, the aces of the four suits in the Tarot are the sort of the highest expression of what that suit is about, and the Cups corresponds. Maybe you would say a little bit to the suit of Hearts in playing cards. That's Hearts. You know, the playing cards came from the Tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the suit of Cups relates to water and flow and energy. Um, it relates to healing and music. It relates to the so realm of emotions. Female. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, and the ace is the sort of the highest expression of that. And how um, did you guys stay in touch all of the years in between? You did. Yes, we did. So when you decided to come back to like, get the band back together again, it was like... 50 years later. 50 years later. Well, here's how it happened. First of all, all through the years, there would be times when three of us or four of us or sometimes even five of us would converge for a few days somewhere and just play music. Because we we wrote pretty much all of our own music. We only did maybe, I don't know, maybe four cover tunes the whole time that we ever played together. So we, we, and so a lot of other people never knew our music, right? So the only way we could really play our own music and get all the sounds that we wanted and all the harmonies is when we were together. And so we'd get together and we would just play our music. Um, That happened, you know, every certain amount of years. None of us had, could much afford to just go traveling all over, you know, I moved to Hawaii. Mary Gannon followed me to Hawaii. Um, others were in northern or southern California. Mary Mary Ellen lived up in the... She, when, she, when the band split up, actually, she was the first one to leave, and she went up to the Trinity Alps, the Trinity... Where is that? It's up way northern California. Okay. And she went back to the land with her husband and had two kids, and they were with uh, Tim Kane and his family from the Sons of Champlain. And they, you know, she kept bees and, you know, this was she was 70s? away from electricity. This was, yeah, you know, early 70s. So everybody went different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Mary Ellen moved into Arcata, California. Um, so we all, but it was, it was not easy for us to all get together and, and pull that off, but we did from time to time. But in 2011, we got invited to come back together and play for Wavy Gravy's 75th birthday. And Wavy is really dear old friend of ours. Um, and um, it was a big event for Save a Foundation, which is one of our main loving uh, charities or, or, you know, uh, philanthropic um, um places where we like to put energy and love. Um, and so there was this big party and we at the Craneway Pavilion, which is a big venue in, in the Bay Area. So we got invited to come and play. So what had happened was George Bear Wallace, who owns High Moon Records, had reached out to us yeah, maybe a few months before and, and was interested to see if we had any more old tapes or old you know, something that he could release because his record label was more of a... Um, a reissue label, mm-hmm. but we became friends. And then when we got invited to play for Wavy's birthday, George said, I'll help you. If you guys want to do that, I'll rent you a house and rehearsal space and I'll help you get, you know, with travel expenses. So we all came and we had such a good time, um, you know, together and playing for Wavy's birthday that three of us 
said, we just want to keep playing. So then George helped us for the next really three years, come together every couple of months and, and play from, you know, for three or four, three, four or five days. And we were writing and, um, uh, that evolved into at some point we would send George the, you know, just iPhone tape, you know, like recordings of what we were writing. And he said, that's a really cool song. You know, that's when then he finally said, you have to go into a studio. So his label, which hadn't really never financed making a record, you know, because they were more like archaeologists finding great old things, you know. But we never had that. You know, we didn't ever right. get to we go in the studio that. before. Right. You know, we had some old tapes and that had been released, but we didn't ever go in the studio before. So he just said, you have to go do that. So we went in the studio wow. with Dan All Shea. five of you or just the three of you? No, it's actually four of the original five. So yeah. Cool. And um, we we started recording. And some old things. And our, our producer, Dan Shea, was just really wonderful guy who um, grew up in Marin County, but he had produced a lot of kind of well-known people here in LA and all around. So he kind of was the perfect person for us because we didn't have that much studio experience. I mean, some of us had none and, you know, we had much more live playing experience. So, and then of course, studio had changed. I mean, we used to stand around one mic and do background vocals for the Jefferson Airplane or whatever it was, but we didn't work digitally because there wasn't that. Mm -hmm. So it's all different. Mm -hmm. um, so we started recording with Dan and, and some old songs, trying to do them really the way we did them. Mm -hmm. And then some old songs that we really re redid the way we kind of really brought them and either sometimes changed lyrics or certainly changed kind of the energy of them. And then a bunch of new songs. And, um, is that what's on this record? Yes. Yeah, so that album is is some old songs exactly done, kind of the closest we could get to have, you know, except for sounding better <laughs> because you know, yeah, the sonics um, have changed. Yeah, or um, you actually recorded them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we have some live stuff, but it's pretty um, such yeah. a beautiful album. I know yeah. you want to show well. us, tell us I a little mean, bit about the record. And oh my, I'd God. love to tell you about it. Um, so the front of the album isn't kind of an old picture yeah. that we superimpose on this beautiful photograph of Mount Tamalpais, which is kind of a sacred place for a lot of people, including us and our band. Um, we had some deep major band bonding experiences up on Mount Tam, so we wanted to... Did you do acid? We did. Well, you know, um, most of the band had done more of their psychedelic journeying before, before. the band. And once the band happened, we did, I, we did more sort of individually more things like peyote. Right. Um, um, and you guys were super young. You were 1920. Yeah, but so I'd been on the bus with Kesey since I oh, was 18. Got it. You know. Ken Kesey. 18, Is that 19, who you're yeah. speaking of? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was one of the Merry Pranksters. Okay. My prankster name is Mary Microgram. <laughs> so I, I guess you can tell that I uh, love so it. Rad. Psychedelic. So, so rad. was there such a thing as microdosing back then? No, there wasn't. I okay. was a macrodoser. Right. Macro. Now I'm trying microdosing. It's it's quite interesting, and I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, in those interesting. Days. Yeah. And so it's so wild to think like 18. Yeah. Doing psychedelics like like she saying you're saying most of your bandmates had already explored psychedelics yeah. before forming like the band. I mean like twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, because that's when it happened. Right. You know, we were all in the Haight Ashbury at that time. You right. know, I'd been on the bus already for you know, so I and I was I was already doing psychedelics before I got on the bus, which is kind of. Would you? Did say, you end up in Oregon with him? Is that we? Um, we did. 
Yeah, we yes, we did. We I didn't end up there, but we we did some trips. I didn't do the cross country trip with the bus. I was still in at Berkeley at that time, or actually, I was still in high school. But um, but um, is the country vastly different than it was in the sixties? This country, this yes. America country. Yes, yes, I think so. Look how much better she thinks it is just by her face. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think especially for those of us that were the 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 young people at that time, we really felt that the world was changing. We wouldn't have predicted it it would be like it is now then. It seemed like I really thought that the revolution that money was actually not going to exist. Yeah. I mean, I thought that we were all going to be bartering and trading and sharing and that I didn't even think there would be the thing called money. I I mean, you know, I but I really felt that I just you know there was a free store on on Hate Street that was started by the you know um, Ron and Jay Thalen that, who started the psychedelic shop and somebody rented the, they rented this little corner place and you could just come and bring whatever you didn't need anymore and leave it and you could come and take whatever you needed and it was free and it it just felt like we were all starting to share and be generous with each other. What do you think? What do you attribute? to um, that change not coming about or not not staying. You right. know? I mean, if, you ha if we had the youth back then that was supposed to be the future, right? right. Um, I mean, I can imagine it's a million things, but do you yeah. have one or m many ideas as to what? You know, I, I have a few. Yeah. Um, I mean, at a certain level, I think for some of us, maybe that are a little more fortunate, just by life circumstances or whatever. I would say it's, we have to look at ourselves and think about greed and and not sharing. You know, like mm -hmm. how much does any of us need? Mm -hmm. And I think you know, in our first the album that we released in two thousand and two, which was made of some old li live tapes that we had, that was released by an English record label. Um, that album is called "It's Bad for You, But Buy It," and it's a line from one of our songs mm -hmm. that um, was just talking about how hyper consumerism. Yes, exactly. And I think that um, we, you know, if I were going to write a prescription, I'd say we all need to really look at. You know, what do we really need? And we need to have less, consume less, buy less, share more. And, um, and, and you know, because all of the, the stuff, it, it, you know, you know, it's, I mean, we have these landfills that are full of junk. And so I feel as though, you know, we're just getting sold a bill of goods and too many people are buying it and trying to fill that place in us that, only really gets filled by relationship and 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 love and deep things that sharing. matter and sharing. Basically, like hoarding is like the opposite. It right. creates the opposite energy towards what you, we. I mean, we always think it's that like working at cross purposes for our greatest potential. Yes, by thinking we're like getting everything for ourselves and then we don't it's share. It's crazy, and that's the thing we need most is to exactly. share. Exactly, and we you know yeah. and we need to help each other, Great. and that's and that's where the the greatest joy comes for us all is like doing the things that we're really wired for is human beings which is making things you know repurposing something mm. you know don't just throw it away make, mm. turn it into something else get together with a bunch of of friends my daughter we had this really fun night over the christmas or the thanksgiving holidays in 
in Kauai, you know, where a bunch of young women came over and, and um, we had sewing machines and we just made things out of other old things. And we had, oh. we worked for like six hours. We, nobody wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. It's like, we need to find ways that are less carbon footprint heavy mm-hmm. yeah. to do the things to be together. And we want to sing together and we want to dance together. And we want to make things together and we want to garden things together. And we want to give things away and we want to take care of each other. And, you know, we're wired for that. Like our, our whole you know, neurosystem, like, you know, all of the endorphins, all of the, everything that good, that good that flows through us yeah. flows through when we do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, you know, just go out and, you know, so greed, selfishness, and, you know, these are like attributes that relate to our insecurity. And, and, and there's a whole bunch of our society that plays on that and tries to tell us we're going to be happier if we do things that will never make us happy. Yeah. Short and long-term benefit mm-hmm. versus long-term benefit. Yeah. And for those of you listening that think that this is a big hippie powwow, we love you too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that. Thank you. My my heart got a little warm just yeah, hearing you speak exactly. like that. It's important that um, those subject that subject is discussed more. And I, I completely agree that we have too much. Uh, we're a country that has too much and continues to want more, which is sort of indicative, you know, and then it passes on to just the individual within a country that has that moral pr- imperative. We behave the same way the country does. You know right. what I mean? You're just like, it's, it is a cultural thing and, and it's hard to unlearn grasping. Exactly. It really exactly. is. It, and then, you know, then we're just like, I just walked here from the parking lot down the street, you know, and there's, you know, a guy sleeping right outside the building in a sleeping bag. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just need, you know, we can't just walk past each other. We're ourselves, you know, as yeah. we're us, we're just us. We're all of us, us. Desensitized yeah. to suffering. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we need to adopt you know you someone said to me this morning the, yeah okay yeah. just same with it yeah um there are sixty thousand homeless people in los angeles mm-hmm. but there are six million people in los angeles so if each of us just kind of adopted one person tried to help one person you know we could make this go away instead of thinking that it's just a, the government has to do it. I think it's it's all of us together in all forms that we right. that we work. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that everything from social service agencies to everything. But I just heard of a, a guy this morning who is a minister who came to L.A., moved here from somewhere else and said, you know, where is my congregation? And he looked at the homeless. He goes, this is my congregation. So we started an organization. And he finds people starts to relate to them and then finds out if they have family and then puts them in touch with their family and cleans them up. And then eventually, if they want to, he his organization gives them a bus ticket and a suit and helps them clean up and helps them get off the streets. I mean, one person at a time. Yeah. I mean... That's amazing. Right? Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask is uh, about, you know, music and do you think that music in some way is a is a a way through to talk about some of these things or to help alleviate some of the suffering around our confusion around. I do. I do. I mean, music is a universal language. We may not even speak the same actual physical language, but we can all, you know, move and dance and respond to the music. And so music wakes that, that commonality up in all of us. And, 
you know, the, the kind of the world that I came out of, our band came out of, the bands in San Francisco in those days, we played as many benefits as we played paying gigs. Mm-hmm. We played benefits, all of us, for everything. You know, the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, that was the medical center, the legal aid, the, you know, Indian Babies Clinic somewhere. And it was like, whatever it was, everybody was playing for the community and and playing for free. And um, that is really important. And I, you know, the music is like one expression of the community, but then there are all the other good things that other people are doing. And all of those things need to work in a, a circuit and support each other. Um, Absolutely. And, and I, and I think music definitely um, both everything about music, you know, whether it's the lyric um, and it's the, the spirit in which the people and the band relate to each other and relate to whoever's there. I mean, all of that, just, you know, when the love and, and, and compassion and goodness flows, um, you know, and energy and sassiness or whatever it all is, yeah. you know, or truth telling to power. Yeah. Right. All of that is really important, you know? Yeah. Do you think that has that changed or what was the thing that do you feel changed the most uh, from when you guys broke up to when you got back together as women um, relating to one another and working with one another? Was there a massive difference that you saw? No. 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 (laughs) I mean, the, the, you know, we, you know, people say, ask, you know, how was the music business different then from now? And like, we don't know because the music business didn't want us then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we really, you know, we just played shows Mm -hmm. and we played with, you know, the bands in the Bay area were really wonderful to us for the most part. I mean, we, we got mentored by, you know, the Jefferson airplane by, you know, Quicksilver messenger service, sons of Champlin, the bands that were around there were, they were all good to us, you know? Um, And, you know, some took us on tours with them and, you know, locally, I mean, we're just like California or maybe a little bit other places, but, you know, our biggest tour that we did other than one show in, in uh, Chicago was, you know, up to, up to like Vancouver and Seattle with the Jefferson airplane, you know, or down to here, down to LA or San Diego, places like that. But, you know, as far as how we relate to each other, we just, we, that's, that's the thing that we always come back to is our voices or what we want to say. And, you know, there's, it's not like, you know, there's not differences of opinion or we don't have things to work through. And sometimes we do. And sometimes we really have to get down and just like, well, I really feel this way. I really feel that way. And, you know, we, but we work through it and, um, you know, we've seen each other through deaths in the family. We've seen each other through, you know, um, divorces or separations. We've seen each other through hard times and good times and know each other's children and grandchildren. And, you know, when we toured this summer, we got to tour this last summer. Uh, then we played like the Oregon Country Fair and the Kate Wolf Festival and a bunch of other shows. We played the Fillmore um, with Jason Mraz, for the first time we played the Fillmore in 50 years in yeah, San Francisco, uh-huh. and that was a benefit for the homeless, um, for really good homeless organizations. But, you know, we had our children and grandchildren at different shows like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's incredible to mm-hmm. look out and see, Yeah, you know, to welcome our children and grandchildren so to cool. our shows. Yeah. So So I hear you speaking a lot about benefit shows and things that you seem to care about in a social impact way. Is there one in particular 
that you really champion yourself that you um, like it as an activist? Or- um, you know, I think our relationship with Wavy Gravy, um, we, we really champion Camp Win a Rainbow, which is a camp that's been around just about as almost as long as our band that Wavy and his wife, Johanna, and some other folks from the hog farm started up north of San Francisco in Leightonville. And it's a, a circus and performing arts camp for kids. And they bring kids from all over for the whole summer to have like it's the best of the 60s but it's current and um with the values of those days so they bring kids from group homes they bring kids from all you know they reach out to agencies for a kid that needs to go somewhere supportive and loving for the summer and they bring kids and we all play for events to have scholarships for Camp Winter Rainbow. It's the most magical place. There's also adult camp. I was going to say, week, do they take yes, adults? They, the first week of every <laughs> summer is adult camp. And, and as Wavy Gravy says, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. <laughs> so anybody can go to adult camp. But, you know, that camp is incredible. And, and um, it's the values that we believe in. And the kids who have gone there, and now it's 40 years, so those people, you know, kids come back as counselors. The, the whole culture is amazing. And Wavy says that's his proudest legacy is those those thousands of campers who are out in the world doing just what we're talking about. Yeah. So um, being in the same room with you, feeling like just the incredible golden energy that you project, uh, hearing the things that you have to say, I can't help but just admire you, respect you, look up to you. I want to know. Um, I want to know. Um, <sighs> God, I will. I want to know so very many things, but I, I guess um, initially, what my question again would be. Oh, damn, I really lost my train of thought. I was like, so I know because you did that. I was like <laughs> on to them. I was like looking at her and going like, oh, please just tell me. OK, so how about this? Yeah. What is it? What do you have a practice? Do you have a methodology? Do you that you go to um, that? How you know each morning when you wake up that helps you go like okay the sun has risen again and is shining on me and because it seems that you walk through life you know uh, and have some sort of path yeah Um, and within that uh, the other question would be that like how do you protect yourself and how and is there a level of sort of like boundaries or protection that that is a part of that practice. Because I think that like hearing you say like we can't we have to connect with one another we have to uh, we can't just ignore each other there there is that as an ideal mm-hmm. and then there's like the practical measure of not really being able to um, walk up to each homeless person and offer your a sol- you know yeah yourself as a solution yeah yeah that's a that's a lot there that you asked and it's yeah so my my the last part like um i have someone that i've adopted who's living in her car um i i met her a few months ago she and her another woman were um living on the street in venice and i saw them packing up their tent one morning and i stopped and talked to them and we became friends and so the one the older woman virginia is now living in las vegas with her daughter i don't know how that's going to work out because there's a lot of emotional things but hopefully but right now she is home she has a home 
Um, but the younger one, Rachel, is living in her car around between Torrance and um, Redondo Beach, and she finds the community there safer than Venice. And she's 28, and she's got a dog, a service dog. And I, so, you know, she's like that person personally that I felt, I mean, I, there were people that lived right near, because I live right in Venice near Rose Avenue. There's a lot of people that live on the streets there. There's some that I would never, be close, you know, that are scary to me. Mm-hmm. So I had to find somebody that mm-hmm. I can relate to. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's sort of that. If you can find, you know, someone or someone, I mean, before I had sort of adopted a woman who had two children and she was sleeping in front of the yoga studio with one of her children when I walked up from teaching class one night. Uh, and then, you know, kind of got her a hotel room for a few nights. Got her, you know, I tried to help her, you know, so, and we somewhat stay in, t- in touch. But so I think there are times where you just kind of serendipity when you have the intention will help you find someone you might be able to help on it. You know, maybe it's just buying that person lunch or, you know, sometimes people ask me for something. I'll be walking along and I'll say, could I have some money? And I'm like, no, but, you know, sometimes every situation is unique and I really go by my intuition. But sometimes I'll go, no, but I'll buy you lunch and I'll go into wherever we are and I'll bring them something. You know, so I think, you know... And sometimes it's just asking someone, how are you doing today? Because I think when people are without shelter at night, you just, you know, it doesn't take, how long does it take before you're kind of dirty and funky? And then you, you know, what does that do to you? So the event that we played, the Ace of Cups played at the Fillmore with Jason Mraz in August was for Harmonic Humanity, which is an organization that works, um, supports the homeless in interesting ways with music. But... There's a group that I fell in love with there that we we did this. I volunteered at this event in San Francisco, and it's there's a group called Lava May, and they're not just in the Bay Area, but it's started by this wonderful woman, and they they have these trucks, that, and then they pull this you know, trailer that has been converted into showers, and they pull it up to an, a place, and people can come and get get showers. But the event that we vol- that I volunteered at was all of these homeless services coming together in one place for, you know, a day. So there was Lava May, people could get showers. There was Good to Go, which is toilets that also get pulled up in really nice bathrooms. It pulled in by a truck. There was a place, tents where you could get free clothes. Next to it, there was all these people with sewing machines that would alter the clothes for you so they fit you. There was barbers that would give people a haircut and a shave. There was acupuncturists and massage people. There were people that would just sit and listen, like, tell your story, I will listen. Mm -hmm. There was met doctors. There was legal aid. There was places that were housing services. All the services came together. And... um. So it was beautiful. amazing. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, an, it's something I'm really like, you know, so I think that we do things individually and we do things as organizations and we do things as government or as our city mm-hmm. and all of those things count, you know. So interesting because that is the first time I've ever heard of anything like that. And what you see and what you hear consistently is the negative side of it and lifting up and hearing more stories like that is so important because otherwise you start to feel um like hopeless and that you can't make a difference or that nobody is out there even caring to try and make a difference and it's beautiful thank you for sharing well i think you know it is you know when you 
I mean, I think on some level, all of us have the impulse to maybe it's sleep for some people, but to make that make a difference. And but it's overwhelming, as you say, but you know, then we have to kind of find the way to make, you know, whether it's make sandwiches, I mean, like, my friends and I'll make sandwiches and go just take them to people. I mean, I have to tell you the day after, um, I mean, the, the elections, when I got back here to LA after the elections, I was like, okay, what are we going to do? We need to just, it was like, go out and give sandwiches to people who are now afraid about their, their immigration status. So I just like go to Home Depot and give out sandwiches and just say, you know, um, just wanted to make sure you had lunch today. I mean, you know, the fear that you can feel, especially for those of us here living in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and children who I know that are, you know, dreamers and um, but yeah. have never known anywhere else but this country. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, these are all. Um, and your practice. So, you know, I have been... I came to LA from Kauai in 1983 to go to music school because I had been playing bass for a year and I wanted to up my bass playing. So I came to go to music school and I, because I'm a big surf person, especially in Hawaii, but I was living in Hollywood, like a few blocks from where we are right now. And I couldn't go to the ocean here. Plus it was dirty and kind of cold and I wasn't used to cold water. So I started, I'd already had, always had a yoga practice, but I started going to practice, actually to Bikram school here in LA in those days. Pretty soon I was like teaching there. And then it, that evolved into um, being a, a yoga teacher, which was really not a, much of a profession then. It just kind of evolved, you know, now it's different, but in those days, but you know, Bikram used to ask me to go teach people that like- Did you see the documentary? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I knew Bikram, you know, like he- You knew that about him? <laughs> I knew I, well, he wasn't like that then. Right. He was not like that. That, that, you know, people progress can, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was a wild, you know, right. by, but this was even before he was married to Rajashri, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, sort of what evolved for me was I started teaching Quincy Jones and, and Kareem Jabbar. And, you know, I just sort of became this, you know, and it worked because I was a single mom and my daughter was in high school. So I, I couldn't really play gigs that took me away from town at night and things like that. So it kind of worked that, you know, right. I just sort of yoga was my personal practice, but it became my livelihood and music sort of was more in the background. I played, but I didn't play for with, you know, as much bands and stuff like that at that point um so my practice you know my practice has always been around movement and body and meditation and and just being quiet and so what it is now now what i teach is a slow deep stretch class i used to teach ashtanga for many years which is a more much yeah. more athletic practice you know mm -hmm. but i um but I, I teach slow, deep stretching. And when I'm in town, I teach at Santa Monica Yoga uh, on Monday nights. Um, and I, I have people in my class that have been practicing with me for 24 years, some of them. But we just do this two-hour slow, deep stretch practice that kind of is, I love, this yin work. And it's it nourishes your deep channels and your your kind of calm energy, like the opposite of fight or flight, you know, that's what it nourishes. And I think that's really important in this world now. So I love to Is practice Is Matt that. Hooker in your class? No. Okay. No, but there's- He's a cellist. He, I played with him yeah. last night and he uh -huh. was talking about going to Santa Monica for yoga. And I was like, oh. this would just be too weird. And right. <laughs> somehow, yeah. Matt, you were like, Matt, he's my <laughs> student for 24 years. Yeah. No, I wanted I, that to just yeah. happen, but you know, it doesn't always yeah. happen like that. No, there's a lot of those kind of things I that will. happen. I will. I'll let him know about I, the class. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, 
<laughs> so, you know, so one of the things that I do as a practice is, is I, in order to keep those deep channels flowing, I don't, I don't, I live on the floor. I have like a carpet and, and my table, like I have one table and it's low and I have a bunch of pillows. And I think it's really important for people not to sit in chairs. And um, so I kind of, I, I get people squatting. And I have a whole website that I created called squateverywhere.com. And my friends, <laughs> Tubby and Will and I have a song that's called The Squat Song, which is, to, it's kind of this really funky, fun song to remind people. It's got a video to remind people to get on, the, live on the floor. And, and, you know, I think chairs, I mean, well, I've been saying this for like 20 something years, but now it's like in the New York Times, sitting is the new smoking and all that. So you don't want to sit in chairs. You want to live on the floor, live on the earth and, you know, as much as possible outside barefoot when you can. Um, but so part of my practice is just like, I live in a one room studio and um, with a lot of instruments and um, I live on the floor and um, I'm vegan and I haven't eaten meat since I was 18 years old. Um, and Do you mind us asking how old you are? I'm 73. Gorgeous. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. And I, but you know, I, I think you're my limber. I'm energy, sure you can yeah, stretch. I mean, I can and move and I move because your joints and your memories probably yeah. better than most at your yeah. age. Yeah. You know, and, it it's, and, and so those are the, so those are kind of life practices right. that that make a difference. And then, in terms of daily practices, well, first of all, I stretch all day long. I'm kind of like a, I always say, channel your inner dog or cat. You just want to be stretching all day long, um, like your animals do, because that's what we are. And then um, I have a prayer practice and a sitting practice. My prayer practice. You know, it's funny when you said about boundaries. You know, Summer, you said, you know, what are the boundaries? Um, this rabbi that um, I met a long time ago um, said um, two things. He said, keep better company. So I, you know, and if there are relationships that are toxic or things like that, I just kind of back away mm -hmm. from those. Um, um, but at the same time, he also said, judge favorably. So when I catch myself um, making some assumption negative assumption i try and then say to myself well you don't know that and i try and find a positive spin for why that person did that you know mm -hmm. so i try and disarm my you know that critic you know i ask about practice because how much do you believe is nature is in your nature and how much do you believe you've had to nurture and really practice to become this beautiful 73 year old light that is staying close to the earth and doing all things good. I think a lot of it is nurture. I mean, nurturing ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, you know, I, I, I was, a, I had a pretty lovely parents and, you know, I mean, everybody has their stuff in their mm -hmm. family, but I, you know, I had a loving home mm -hmm. and things like that. But I think, you know, uh, I've become more, more thoughtful and more, um, hopefully, you know, I'm evolving. And I like my, you know, one of my daily practices, I, I have a, one of my teachers is Rabbi Finley at Or HaTorah Congregation in, in uh, Mar Vista. And one of the practices that I learned from Rabbi Finley is like to get up in the morning and do what he calls create your wall of virtue. So I actually physically do it. I put my arms out like this and I go and I make a promise, which 
I don't always keep all day long, but I yeah. at least start with the intention to process my own Michigas myself and not visit it on my loved ones and mm -hmm. people around me, you know, and to really actually create my wall of virtue and just say, I will not spill out my craziness as much as possible. I will notice when I'm, you know, uh, you, you know, you know, whatever it all is, you know, right. just negative does he have a um for if if you do that and you and you've noticed that you've done that is there a steps to take for to for contrition and yes you make you know first of all you really truly name what you did you know like um if we're kind of looking in that tradition in the jewish tradition it's sort of like you know the way people at the, at new year's will go well if i ever hurt you last year that does not count you actually have to find out what it is and if you don't know yourself you need to be really clear, like, what did I, what if I think I did something and I want to, this is how I remember it, you know. So you need to really name what it is that you, that you visited upon someone, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then you really need to apologize. And then you need to see what you need to do to make up for it. And then you need to make a promise not to do it again and try and catch yourself in when that starts to happen. That's a very universal yeah. kind of purification mm -hmm. exactly. practice. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, really, you know, really and I think, you know, um, you know, I know. I mean, it's just it's I want to ask about music before we have to wrap it up okay. here, because I, <laughs> I, I'm so curious what you're listening to these okay. days uh, like i made a list of some things because it was really fun so i'm going to read some of the things i wrote down okay, okay. Uh, this is like what i've been listening to in the last well some of these for a long time and but mostly i've listened to these in the last couple of weeks awesome. okay everybody Amazing. get your notepad yeah seriously okay. Okay. so first of all i want to say sometimes i just fall in love with a song and that happens for me i'm, a, I'm a so really like a modern singles you like singles yeah, like but lyric, you know what? That's how it was single, back but in the I'll, day. I'll fall in love with because I'm a lyric person right. a lot, you know. So I'll tell you some of the people. So there's a guy named Ola Onabule. He's a British Nigerian singer songwriter who I was turned on to recently. Michael Tubbs is going to get into that. Listen up, Tubbs. Prick up your ears. And uh, he, I've just been all over YouTube watching him. And um, there's one song that I knew your father is just incredible about. Obviously, someone in Nigeria. To sing to a child whose father was part, there was like violence. Anyway, um, it's beautiful. Um, another thing, my friend Steve Kimock, who's one of my favorite guitar players and musicians, we got really into this guy named Paul Brady, who this recording from 1977. Paul Brady is an Irish singer, and this, the song that we played over and over was um, Arthur McBride, and it's an anti war song. Um, great saga in the great Irish tradition of uh, storytelling. Um, Buffy St. Marie, who is on our album, one of my dear friends, um, and um, anything by Buffy St. Marie from old to new is great, but we, uh, we just saw her play uh, recently for the uh, 50 years of the um, Alcatraz um, wow. occupation, and she was honored by the, in the city of San Francisco. One of her recent songs, The War Racket, I highly recommend. Um, I'm really into uh, Kiana Parlor, uh, Ranky Tanky. I don't know if you know that band is Gullah Music from the Carolinas. And they're great. Uh, Rihanna Gibbons um, is amazing. Um, I listen to some like Indian music. My favorites are Nikhil Banerjee, who's um, a teacher I studied with 50 years ago on the sitar. And, uh, and there's also an album called Call of the Valley, which I just love. Also old Indian music. Um, 
There's a group called Alash, A-L-A-S-H. They're Tuvan throat singers. And I did a workshop with them last year, uh, which I cannot do Tuvan throat singing, but it was really amazing to watch them and hear them. That was great. Big Mama Willie Mae Thornton. Oh, yes. I used to work at Fantasy Records and she was one of our, she would come by there. And so I used to hang out with her a little bit and she was amazing. Some of my favorite singers and players, B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland. Bobby Blue Bland is maybe, you know, right up there with my probably three favorite singers in my life. I love Bobby Bland and I got to see both of them, and you know. Um, this week I went out and heard Andy Garcia's Cineson, the 17-piece band, two nights ago at the uh, um, Geffen. And they did this tribute to uh, Israel Cachao Lopez, with Cuban music, uh-huh. and um, it was incredible. So I got to hear that one of my friends and yoga students is a vocalist in that band. And it was I wanted to hear him for a long time, and I got to. Um, Hawaiian music, I'm really into Hawaiian music. I played Hawaiian music for a living for years. Um, that was my gig. And uh, there's George Helm, who um, was an activist and amazing, amazing singer who sang even though he was uh younger he was like kind of my age but this was in the 70s but he sung in the old hawaiian style and he kind of brought that back uh deep way gabby pahinui huiokana kahawana lake trio some of the old hawaiian music i love um there's a a group that I fell in love with recently called Nefesh Mountain. They're actually going to play here, but I might be up recording, so I may not get to make it. But they're they're bluegrass and Hebrew. Mm. They are amazing. Husband and wife team. Nefesh Mountain. Wow. Awesome. Um, there's Steve Kimak, who I mentioned, the band Zero. Um, Madali Kunene, who's an African guitarist who's just uh, plays this really good fingerstyle guitar. And then there's Taj Mahal, who's on our album, a dear friend. We love Taj and we love his music. Um, Luciana Sosa, who is Larry Klein's wife. She's a wonderful Brazilian singer and they do wonderful music together. Um, There's a band that I've just been posting. They're called the Counter Current Band. So they're the, you know, convergence of politics. Uh And Uh so they've done this two guys, this song in this Irish storytelling tradition, but it's um, it's called Song for McConnell, and the project is Ditch Mitch, and it's brilliant. It's hysterical, <laughs> brilliant lyric. You know, I love I love it. Um, then I want to tell you a few more. Then my family. So my grandson, Eli Smart, is an amazing young musician, and he's in school in England right now in Liverpool. He's graduating this year, and he's all over the internet, and um Eli Smart, and I love his music, and I love cool. playing with them. Yeah, yeah. And then my daughter, Tora Smart, or uh, her kind of recording name is uh, Tora Jukes, which is her maiden name. Um, not, no, it's her birth name because I was married to her dad. We changed her names afterwards, but her dad is Noel Jukes, and they made a beautiful jazz album together. Sure. So I love listening to my family. I love to play with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Tora, so Tora and Noel. And, um, Bloom, Mike Bloomfield, who we played with in the old days, Paul Butterfield, East West, the Butterfield Blues Band. I love harmonica, so, you know, a little Walter. Um, um, two more. Um, one of them is um, this family here who I um, f- 
my the, one of them is my bass teacher. His name is Andrew Goucher. He was um, Prince's last bass player, and um, he was, grew up in Inglewood here. And he's incredible gospel bass player. And his whole family are people I love and admire. His sister Jackie Goucher is the minister, the music minister was in her church. Beautiful pianist and singer and songwriter. And her son, D Smoke, just won the Rhythm and Flow Netflix uh-huh. concert. No right? way, yeah. Right? So that whole family, the Goucher and uh, uh, Ferris family, um, they're Tiffany Goucher and, um, and uh, uh, Davion, all of them are just, and they're the mother, the grandmother, Betty Goucher. She was in Charles Wright's 103rd Street Watts band. She did, she was with that, the band that did um, Express Yourself. I mean, so there's three generations of incredible musicians. And I love seeing what the young ones are doing. And now, you know, they've sort of, because of D Smoke, you know, who is a bilingual, taught at Inglewood High School, straight A student at UCLA, you know, and now this new generation is, you know, going back to his home neighborhood in Inglewood and just empowering the young people in the neighborhood. So I'm, you know, I love that. What a list. Yeah. And the last person that I really love that I found out, I'm pretty recent to her, is Anias Mitchell who wrote the song, Why Do We Build the Wall? I don't know if you know that song. No. Could I read you a lyric from it? Well, it's just, it's just beautiful. You should look it up. Can you sing and it? I just, no, I, I can't. Um, but I, because I've just, I've just learned it. But it's like, why do we build the wall, my children? And we basically, we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. Well, how will the wall keep us free? It will keep us free by keeping out the enemy. And it just goes through. And what is the enemy? The enemy is poverty. It just goes, this lyric is really brilliant and relates to a lot we've been talking about today. And yeah. I'm sort of a new fan of Anais Mitchell, but, um, so, but wow. I'd like to talk a little bit about Ace of Cups lyrics too, but, you know, <laughs> but, um, well, you just know. thank you so whole... much. I know you like me, what an incredible list. I, I really do hope so you guys all had your notepads at home and took down that list is really an extensive and like world thank music. Yeah. You can have my copy. Modern music, older music. I mean, it was yeah. great. It was a great, great list. Yeah. Um, we've run out of time. Is there <laughs> anything quickly you want to say before we sign off? Would you just, I, we if you enjoyed this, please listen to the Ace of Cups album. Our lyrics are also really from our heart and our, our songs are from our heart and um, we would love to share them with people, you know. And how can we listen to Ace of Cups? We're if we- everywhere that music is, you know, our, our, our vinyl, which we're really proud of, has a 17 page booklet. It's got stories about the songs. It's got all the lyrics, who's playing on it. It's got pictures from the old days um, and all kinds of tales of uh, adventures and um we love we love our vinyl but what's on you know it's on you cd can stream it everywhere. you can stream it everywhere Great. yeah wonderful ace yeah. of cups make sure to pick up that record and listen thank you denise kaufman Thank you so much, Summer so and Rain. It was you. really great so. to talk with in. you and to lean left with you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left of center artists in all creative fields. Everybody, 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 everybody.